What if you never fired another client? There are people out there who would lead you to believe you should just, you should genuinely try to help everybody. And while that doesn't really align with my way of thinking, like, let's explore that, like the merits of that. What are the upsides of it? And just kind of think down that path. I will say it's the easy thing to do, I think, not have to fire anybody. Other stuff we're talking about, are there alternatives to Intuit? Can you run a practice not on any Intuit products? I put some polls out about the general sentiments around Intuit right now, but people feel like there aren't any alternatives. Uh, accounting applications for this new Notion Q&A AI tech that they just launched, soups exciting. And then Google's AI assistant Bard uh, will now see into like YouTube videos, like the video podcast. This thing that we publish every single day, does this devalue video creation? If someone can just go ask it a question, go ask it to summarize it. Does that change the value? The value of, of humans getting on video? Let's talk about it. Come on in, it's Q&A Friday. I hope your Friday is going as well as mine is. I just ate a shocking amount of chicken pot pie. Uh, Kirkland's, Kirkland Signature, if you know, you know. I wanted to talk about this tweet uh, because there are people that are in this camp and I try not to be a take a side guy. I just try to like learn from people's perspectives and then kind of form my own decision making framework that's seasoned by all that stuff. Here's a tweet. Accountants, stop posting that you're gonna sack your clients and raise prices. It's not a badge of honor. Build a business by design that adds value to your clients. Some other replies in here. In the words of Peter Drucker, the purpose of a business is to keep and is to find and keep customers. As business owners, we're responsible to serve clients and continue to add value to the relationship by bringing innovation and all that. Uh, so I, I will say what what's bad here, and maybe this is what the post is getting at. I like it's. I don't think it's cool to like dump your clients and then go flex about it online. I can understand like a degree of back padding, like that was a hard thing and we should be proud of ourselves and encourage each other to do the things that we know is right. Not to like assert dominance over, you know, our clients or that sort of thing. So that's not good. And maybe like there was some of that signaling and that's kind of what led to it. But I wouldn't go the full other end of the spectrum and say that like we shouldn't fire clients. So this kind of surprised me. And for me, it's as simple as, and actually the main channel video Sunday is on the subject of scenarios where we probably ought to be cutting ties with clients. But the very real life scenario I ended up in and, and why actually cutting a huge percentage of clients became an imperative was I was in a situation with a firm where about 70% of our client headcount accounted for 10% of revenue. So 70% of headcount accounted for 10% of revenue. And I would argue this is actually really common in US tax firms when you have a whole bunch of small individual tax projects. And the reality is like when a firm is getting started, it's these itty bitty projects that you are just like hungry for coming out of the gate. They are the first projects to put food on the table. You need those and you take those at a rate that you would never take in the future. And the reality of, trying to get those people that came in there up to like your modern, like current pricing levels 
that's a really big challenge. Oftentimes there's a, you feel a sense of obligation to the people who maybe first invested in your business and came and bought tax or accounting work from you. But many of us have this collection of really small, uh, cheap projects that are, I don't know, we feel we feel bad getting rid of. Maybe there's some uh, like peripheral, like collateral damage that's going to come from that, like the relationships that these other people have. Maybe they're respected people in the community that you want to maintain a relationship with. Oftentimes, the excuse is, well, they send us a bunch of great referrals. Uh, I've been dunking on referrals and word of mouth a bit on social media this week. And it's because I honestly think if you just sit back and let referrals roll in, and that's the only work that you ever take in at all, best case scenario, it's more of the same. Like it is a kind of a lateral move. Like you're just adding more of the same type of work. When I would argue most firms right now, they need a better type of work, not more of the same type of work. The same type of work, if you have pains today, just make those pains worse generally, as opposed to a better type of work where you can take somebody in at you know twice the rate in the amount of time that you're spending for, you know, three legacy projects. So my story was, uh, you know, we had this situation, 70% of the headcount kind of for 10% of the revenue. And actually what really matters about that metric is it would be an even smaller percentage of the profit because those really small projects, all it takes is one phone call, one meeting, one little thing, and you've, you've blown up the profitability of that project, right? And this like if you look at any of these projects in a vacuum it's like oh that's just like one more quick little thing like why would you not do it like i've heard it framed which i love i heard it framed as the notion of walking past a hundred dollar bill on the sidewalk like really buddy you're gonna be you're gonna be uh, so big for your britches that you're gonna just walk past a hundred dollar bill on like we can do it like what's one more thing like it's another hour of somebody's time like what's the big deal until you've got a client list of a thousand clients and a huge percentage of them make up a tiny percentage of your revenue. Why I ultimately moved away from that was I felt like the headaches and the unexpected things and the risk uh, of running a practice compounded the more clients I had. It was like every client on the list was another unexpected thing that could set your inbox on fire. And I didn't really learn this, honestly, my, my firm was traditionally a tax practice. I didn't learn this until starting an accounting practice where we had a small number of clients that paid us a bunch of money to do a whole bunch of back office stuff for them. And we didn't really have those fires. Like we just, we had such a, a small number comparatively of, of clients in that business initially, like 20 to 40 clients were doing this managed back office stuff for and you just didn't have these same issues where you had all these different people coming out of the woodworks. And honestly, like you could hardly even remember everybody's names and you weren't really building relationships with them. And it became very transactional because there's only so many people you can help and the more, more of a volume business you run, just the more transactional it is. And I think if you've got a business that's just very transactional, that's usually not something that's going to be super profitable. It's probably getting more commoditized. Now, could you go out and hire until the end of time and never let one of these people go? Maybe you could try. So it depends on the type of firm that you want to run. For myself, when I was looking for a path to like calm and enjoying what I was doing, it was not growth. The periods of growth were the most stressful periods for me. I was making compromises on, on hiring and like we were doing all these 
big kind of more ambitious things that meant making bigger bets on on the people that we had that may or may not have been the right people, saying yes to more clients than we normally would. And there's for sure right and wrong ways to do all of that. But the notion of never getting rid of certain clients, like I think that there's this inherent um, implied like stasis of a firm in that statement that just doesn't make sense. If your firm never changes and you're always serving the same type of type of client, maybe. But at least my framework and my methodology for how I think of an accounting firm is that it is something that ought to always be evolving into something better. Gang, this episode is sponsored in part by LiveFlow. Uh, LiveFlow is the easiest way to sync that QuickBooks data back and forth to your spreadsheets. You may have seen this actually had a big announcement lately. So this fall, G2 gave them the top spot in their fall 2023 report as the leader in the financial analysis category. That's right, they won. Number one, nice work. Uh, if you've been around my channels for a while, you've seen LifeFlow kindly. They have sponsored quite a bit of stuff. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying I'm taking credit for it, but that was probably why. If not familiar with LifeFlow, super easy way to sync that stuff, sync your QuickBooks data back and forth with Google Sheets. They got a whole pile of templates too to make the process of building that stuff for the first time as easy as possible for you. Stuff for managing cash, AP, KPIs, like everything you can imagine. Sync that data into your existing sheets to make them smarter, get it to auto-sync or build your like custom new sheets that talk with QuickBooks totally from scratch. Uh, pretty cool tool. Check that one out at lifeflow.io. This episode is sponsored in part by Copilot. I don't know about you, Whenever I am uh, considering a piece of software, I like skulking the review sites to be like, okay, like what are people actually saying about this? What's the bad stuff that maybe they're not going to put on a landing page that might be highlighted there? So I did a bit of skulking for Copilot. I'm looking at Captera now. 4.9 stars across 19 reviews. Compares it to Monday.com, who has a measly 4.6. Nice try. Stuff that people are highlighting. Real live human being users, what they're saying they love about Copilot, actual quotes. The portal has made it super easy to navigate with clients that aren't the best with tech or have to rely on something like Google Drive to share files. Uh, clients who are bad with tech, hello, never had any of those. The entire team over at Portal is absolutely incredible, wonderful to work with and very helpful. Product is very clean and our clients are impressed by the simplicity and experience of working with Portal. I love the feedback about specifically clients' reactions because I think that's... Uh, oftentimes what we get afraid of, especially in the context of that client-facing portal, is it going to be too hard for people to use? Are people going to be annoyed that I'm asking to do it this them to do it this way when in the past maybe it was a human process? Uh, the portal team is very helpful whenever I have a question or need some esoteric support, and the product itself works great for everything we need. I'm excited for their new features as well. There you go. From actual human beings, you don't need to hear it from me. I mean, I'm getting paid for this. Those people, those people, they're just happy customers, you know? That's Copilot. It is a specifically a customer portal, client-facing portal, not trying to do all the workflow stuff, just wants to squeeze the ever-living heck out of building a killer client-facing experience. Learn more about that one at the link at the show notes. I always think about, like, how can I find my next client who will pay as much as anybody that I have now for the work that we do, not, like, because I'm fleecing them, but because the problems that I'm solving are, are really, really meaningful, how do I build a new practice by adding one of those clients at a time? And if you're actually progressing like that, and like this is ultimately 
the path to freedom and solving your capacity issues and your profitability issues and all that. It's just finding people who will pay more for you to do the work that you're already doing. Your workflows look really good when they're at 80% capacity. No workflow looks good when you're over capacity. I think many systems issues are actually just capacity issues. But my approach to firm running is like always evolving. And I think people like to like have this element of like service, community service. And like, no, we have this part of our business that's staked in helping these people. Gang, the people who need your help are like are not the ones who can only pay 50% of your normal rates. Those people can go out and find help. There's other people that can't pay anything for this stuff that need way more help. So I have a hard time getting excited about the like, I don't know, quote unquote, like helping the little guy. Who isn't the little guy? He drives a Lexus. I have a hard time like anchoring my business in those folks when what I could instead be doing is, is like continuing to find a more specific person who feels the pains I solve more intensely. And that ought to then like, honestly, give us even more freedom to go out and help people that really need help. The folks that can't afford to pay anything for that. So that's my methodology. Maybe that always growing thing is is founded more in like a sort of stationary accounting firm model where you're more or less just trying to help more of the same type same types of people maybe that works better there i don't know honestly what i really didn't like about this tweet i'm not going to call out you know the poster or anything the thing that was problematic about it i think really is they called out uh quote and to the so-called gurus and influencers posting that accountants should fire clients get better advice and this tweet is coming from somebody who runs an offshoring group. And you can see the inherent conflict in, of interest there. Just keep hiring and then you don't have to fire clients. Maybe that's a driver in this sentiment. Maybe it isn't. I'm, I have, I'm genuinely trying to understand what is the strong argument for never firing clients. But I especially liked uh, how they called out gurus and influencers as if the people running offshoring agencies are not themselves <laughs> like biased. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think our profession has a real problem with the volume of advice that comes from people who have a fundamental conflict of interest. The amount of speakers that you see at conferences who are part of software companies, uh, the amount of webinars, educational webinars, stuff like that, that are out there put together by our product companies, which are often phenomenal and really helpful and super smart people behind them. But there's a reason that they're doing this. And this stuff still should exist. It's not that I'm saying it shouldn't exist. But look at the ratio of this type of content versus independent content that doesn't have any of these tie-ups. And when I see like accounting communities and stuff like that, or like educational co courses build partnerships with software companies where they're the preferred provider of XYZ, in my mind, like all independence, as soon as you do those partnerships, goes straight out the window. We're not having a practical conversation anymore about what is the best practice management system for this person's specific situation. We're not having a conversation about here's how to use our partner practice management system. And I just think that kind of sucks. Like I super, super want there to be more independent creators, call them influencers in our space, because what I think is equally bad is being influenced by the people who very obviously have a software platform to sell you, especially as things are trending towards like, AI and it being easier to get really high quality information and stuff like that. And people are like, well, where's the place of an advisor and a human? Like, how do we fit all in, into all of this? The answer is trust. Like when you see a video or you see something that looks really real, you see all this stuff that's super compelling and you don't 
it gets harder and harder to separate what is real from what is not real. What remains is human beings that you have a relationship with that you can trust. And there is no more future-proof currency than that. And it's not to say that, that product companies and people in software companies can't build trust. They absolutely can. There's brands that have done a great job of this that I adore. But honestly, I think the last people in the world that we should be dunking on are the ones who are like going out and creating helpful stuff for the accounting profession, like Ashley Francis, who we talked with just last week, right? Like these types of people, I wanna see 10 times as many of them, practitioners serving practitioners, people finding, honestly, creative ways to finance all of that. For me, that was my accountant community, finding creative ways of financing what you do that don't fundamentally compromise your independence, like doing a partnership with Intuit or something like that, that just is fundamentally changes the lens through which you have to speak, right? I would love to see way more people doing that. I get super excited when I see people starting to lean into like full-time creator stuff in our space. I'd love to see more people do it. Okay, a couple of polls that I put out on um, Twitter the other day, like not anything like trying to poke the bear or anything like that. What I wanted to capture was just like without leading anyone in a specific direction, like what is the general consensus on Intuit these days? Uh, because you get people in very different camps. Like you go to a QuickBooks Connect and it's like, honestly, it's a ton of people who love QuickBooks and Intuit, but is that representative of accountingdom as a whole? This is a probably very US specific thing because QuickBooks and Intuit means something very different in the US than the rest of the world. But two polls that I put out there, I said accounting and tax pros, what's your sentiment on Intuit these days? And what's the biggest thing that made you answer the way you did? 38% said dislike into it. 22% said strongly dislike. So about 60% of people were on the dislike side. But then a follow-up I asked, in what direction has this trended over the past five years? 81% of folks answered that it had trended negatively. And a lot of folks in the comments, you've got like, you've got Intuit stands, people that love Intuit. That's fine. You've got people on the other end of the spectrum that are like mad at Intuit for trying to make money. Reality is Intuit's a publicly traded company. And so if there's a path besides working with advisors that's going to lead to them making more money, like, like, can you blame them? They're making killer consumer products. I still think that it is in their best interest to include advisors in the fold of like everything that they do. You look at how bad uh, like tax professional products are right now. Uh, but you look on the consumer tax product side and you see TurboTax, where would the United States tax system be today without TurboTax? Think about that. I don't care if you like TurboTax or not. Think what a mess that would be if you didn't have TurboTax. We really need more people with super basic tax returns that need to get a professional for help? Like, no. Like, I'm totally in favor of an even better and beefier TurboTax. But if you were to go out and put your finger on a company that could build a tiller, killer professional tax suite tomorrow. They could do it really well in a modernized way. Oh my gosh, who's going to do it? I got no idea, but like Intuit's in the driver's seat. And they've got ProConnect, which like in my opinion is like kind of a half-baked effort because it doesn't do a lot of the stuff that the legacy product does. But I would love a version of Intuit that would pour resources into the tools we have for professionals. But it's tough right now because they're like, they're you know, their CEO, Sasangadarzi, says they are a done-for-you company. They're now doing bookkeeping for people. They're now doing taxes for people. They're doing small business taxes. And accountants are just like, where do I fit into all this, understandably? They're not really going up market 
to where like they're eating into most of the work that we do and we shouldn't be going down market to doing this stuff that they are doing. So I don't think it's that problematic. The bigger problem is just like, nobody did add into it as drawing that line for us and saying like, here's what we want to do. And here's where we want to send everybody else to, you know, the pro advisor network or something like that. So people are in this frustrating place, but a lot of folks in the replies are like, what choice do I have? Like <clears throat> in the US, the word accounting is synonymous with QuickBooks. Like they are interchangeable. It's wild. And so they feel like they genuinely don't have an option. I don't want to push people away from Intuit. Like by any means, you got to make your own decision. I had my whole practice off of Intuit in like 2018, 2019. It's not as hard as you would think. I know a ton of really smart people that run super successful, profitable accounting practices on zero. Everyone in the rest of the world is raising their hand and saying, yep, nope, we don't use QuickBooks. We're doing just fine. We still figured out how to run an accounting practice without QuickBooks. My tax practice historically was on LeCert. We took it to uh, UltraTax. You can absolutely run a practice not on Intuit. I don't know if that's the right answer. Doesn't mean you should, but you, like, you certainly can. This episode is sponsored in part by Finn Daily. Did you know... A few years ago, I actually developed a SaaS app and eventually sold it. And this is that app, Finn Daily. We are fully jumping the internet, think boy shark today, build app, sell app, app then buys ads on your content. That's weird. So why did I build this thing? What is it? Basically, it is like an email template builder that will send automated emails out to your clients and inject those emails with important financial and banking information. So. For example, I'm gonna build out a template that gives them like a weekly rundown of maybe their bank balances and outstanding bills, stuff like that. You build out these email templates with placeholders and then schedule them to go out on a certain, you know, whatever, every day, once a week, whatever. And those placeholders can be things from QuickBooks, things from Zero, things from Plaid, like bank balances. You can even do mathy things to like generate, you know, like rollups of sets of data. Even use Zapier to pull in any other figures from third-party systems. Uh, super cool, super flexible tool. The way that I used it was we did cash reporting for clients uh, who had like kind of short-term cash planning issues. And this was a way to automate that process by pulling the bills in from the accounting system and pulling live banking balances. Uh, they have built on this tool further to do some cool new stuff like having multiple accounting file connections. For example, you've got a group of companies being able to send out, you know, say to a client who owns multiple businesses, send out information about all those different businesses in a single email all on an automated basis because it fetches stuff from the API right before the email sends. Pretty cool. It's called Finn Daily. Uh, check out the link in the show notes to learn more. This episode is sponsored in part by the fine folks at Cloud Accountant Staffing. Do you hire accountants? Bless your little heart. Uh, not the best part of the job, in my opinion. Not something I ever enjoyed. Well, listen, you can build your accounting dream team with talented offshore accountants in the Philippines that work 100% full-time for your firm. Their accountants aren't freelancing or contracting for multiple firms. They're all yours. They work exclusively for you and are incentivized to stay with you and your team long-term. They're not going to get swiped. Cloud Accountant Staffing is 100% dedicated to the accounting industry and founded by a former accounting firm owner that understands your business, knows your pain points. They had to hire some accountants and they said, you know what? We're going to build our own pipeline in the Philippines. Going to 
pull in some super talented people and then open that up to other firms. Basically, that's the story. Uh, we've been talking about a lot about staffing, building more resilient staffing pipelines for your firms. I, I had staff in the Philippines, I, like totally red-pilled me to like, oh geez, like we need to globalize the way that we get our work done. Uh, check these folks out. Link in the show description, cloudaccountantstaffing.com. Okay, this Notion, uh, n- this new AI release from Notion, they have this uh, something they call Q&A which basically means you can chuck any old question into Notion and it will answer the question for you, like an AI chat interface will answer the question for you based on all of the data that is in your Notion. And this is something I'm so jacked about uh, from our January 1st AI predictions for the accounting profession. This is something we've been hammering on specifically for practice management systems, where if you are going to be the system that holds all of my accounting firm data my emails, my projects, my tasks, my files, everything. If you're asking me to put everything onto that platform, you better do something useful with it. And this is an example of something that can make practice management systems so much more useful because they have all of that data. This is not to say that this is easier or a trivial thing to do, but we've had the tech to do it all year. The tech has kept getting cheaper and I really wanna see them like starting to take steps into this sort of thing. So you think of all of the questions that you have to research uh, across your file management, across all these different things. What am I waiting from for Jim? Did Tina ever reach out to Steve? What are the open projects for Tom? I mean, there's a million different examples of this. Q&A type things where our practice management systems could be a killer, killer resource. I've talked about how like Generative email replies are kind of the holy grail of AI applications for the accounting profession, ones that uh, generative email replies that can take into account everything in the practice management system. It can suggest based on all the data that it went and fetched, like, oh, I see he's asking for a 2021 tax return. I went and got it. Here's the suggested reply with the file attached. Stuff as simple as that. It's like going to be a massive time saver due to the fact that we spend a huge percentage of our time in the email inbox. But this whole like Q&A functionality, this like sits kind of hand in hand with that sort of email reply assistant. The idea that it can fetch helpful stuff to build your reply. Maybe there's just a standalone interface where it literally is you chuck a question in there and it tries to answer it with all the information in the PM. But the biggest thing that I think uh, this Notion release does is legitimizes this as a path for folks to develop down. So this whole chat assistant has now been like, is almost like old hat now, right? Like that's what everybody launched. Salesforce goes out, they do a you know chat assistant on your data. Amazon this week announces, oh, now we have this chat assistant on your data. Intuit announced Intuit Assist and they haven't actually shipped it yet, but it's like, oh, now you can chat with your data. And it's like, uh, okay, maybe that's useful. I don't actually know if it is or not yet. But the fact that people are doing it makes people invest in that. Digits did that as well. So like a chat assistant for your QuickBooks file. And I actually think for business owners, like that is pretty useful. I don't think it's really useful for the advisor yet, but for business owners, I could see them getting into that. Now, in terms of like another AI sort of shift to normalize, I would love to see specifically this Q&A application like get more traction. Specifically through the lens of uh, how accountants work, I don't know that any that accountants are generally sitting there saying, I wish I had this uh, like assistant who could help me go put this thing together as much as I know what I need to do. I'm just missing information X. Can you go fetch me information X with all the context that you have? 
Like that Q&A application, I think, feels much more tangible than just the generic assistant kind of application. Very excited about that. I mean, I think that makes sense. Um, that That's a much more practical example of like a chatbot being useful to me than just a general assistant. Assistant almost feels too general these days. Okay, last thing I wanted to touch on, uh, Google's chatbot, Bard can now let you like chat with videos. So like not even on YouTube, you can just give it a link and like have a chat with a video. Um, on the one hand, super cool. You can, and, and there's like no length limitations on those videos. You can ask it to pull something out immediately and like give you the concepts around maybe a specific part of the video without having to scrub through the whole thing. And that's super helpful, super useful. But kind of the backlash to that has been like, what the hey man? If I put all this work into putting this video together and then this thing's just gonna make us this transcript for it on the back end and then just chat with people about my transcript, why did I just put that entire video together, right? And it's a fair question. Um, like everybody's gonna have, I don't know, different preferred ways of consuming information. But I mean, let's keep it as simple as this podcast. Let's say I put out a 40 minute version of this podcast uh, and somebody's like, eh, do I wanna listen to this or not? I'm going to go out like, what are the 10 main points of this podcast? And you see, and you're like, eh, maybe I'll just catch the next one. Is that a bad thing for people making videos? I don't know. Like my answer to that is I think these days, and AI is pushing us this way even faster. These days, there's a difference between information and relationships. Uh, information will continue to get easier to access, but human beings will still crave building relationships with other human beings. In fact, I was listening to an interview this morning, uh, some people in a band, and they're talking about AI music. And they made the point that they have a really hard time seeing there ever being like fandom around AI music, right? But are human beings going to stop going to concerts and getting super into Taylor Swift? Going to a Taylor Swift concert is a shockingly inefficient way to listen to Taylor Swift's music compared to going to Spotify, not having to drive to a concert, not having to sell my children's body organs to be able to get a ticket. And so uh, I think we're just kind of seeing a divergence of consuming content for information versus consuming content to learn and build a relationship. If my washing machine breaks and I gotta figure out how to replace this seal, I'm not going to go and start consuming a YouTube channel about washing machine repair to build a relationship with Jim. I'm going there because I just, I want the shortest path to showing me how to do that thing. But other stuff that I watch and podcasts that I listen to, I love the people behind it. And like, I've built a relationship with them because I listen to that stuff so much. That's what I want to keep coming back for. And there's probably like a lesson in there for us as advisors is we need to be creating channels where people can build relationships with us and build trust with us. Like to bring this full circle back to the trust issue as you know our timelines are filled with more and more fake stuff and, and deep fakes and being able to clone people's voices and create stuff at scale where it's like, how do I even believe what I'm looking at anymore? The answer is like it coming from a person that you trust. And these days, like my value in my business and what I do is like, I am almost like, what's the right way to put it? I'm a, I don't know, a broker of like attention, right? Software brands, everybody wants people's attention. And one way or another, I have found 
how to get people's attention in a way that like brands can't. And that's a combination of uh, people feeling like they can trust me. It's also a whole lot of being useful for years, like longer and, and more consistently than any of these other people have who are like, why can't I get engagement on social media? And this is like, you know, the future of media and, and AI is actually pushing us there even faster, I think. Uh, because it's driving a, a, a bigger wedge between what is just like seeking information versus what is like seeking, you know, human relationship and, and learning from somebody that you look up to and just enjoy engaging with, right? Like we all have those people in our life. We go back, we watch everything that they do. A movie, new movie comes out with them in a, in a, and it's like, I don't really care so much about what the movie is about, but I want to go see that movie because I'm, I'm like, I just enjoy that actor so much or that director or whatever it is. And the opposite of that is stuff that is transactional, right? So if they're just coming to you for information or to get something done, the reality is I think that stuff is going away. So like if there is a lesson here for running accounting firms, think about your own consumption habits. Like what are the things that you're into that you'll keep going back to? And are you creating those channels for the people that you do business with? Or is everything that you just do transactional? Do they come to you to do a job for them because they have to have somebody do that job? I think uh, the coolest, most innovative stuff I'm seeing now from firms is when people are even thinking outside the boundaries of the current client list and starting to create things that people can engage with, leaning a little more into one too many service offerings like mastermind groups, stuff like that, digital products, rather than exclusively doing one-to-one -one work. There are so many amazing personalities in accounting that folks want access to. And I know that they want access to it because when they sit down and they have a meeting with you, you blow them away, right? Like they feel so taken care of by you convincing them of how capable you are and like they're they're like when you actually sit down or you have a phone call with them they're like man i picked the right person and so that that exists within you the question is how are you putting that out into the ether for people to consume it for people to learn from it when you sleep and to like start building that relationship in a much higher resolution way than meeting with somebody once a year once a month or once a quarter I see people still wanting to buy from people, especially when it comes to hard stuff like tax and you know figuring out insights about what the numbers in their business are telling them and that sort of thing. But you gotta give them a channel through which they can build trust with you, right? Not like a YouTube channel necessarily, but whatever that is, a podcast, like seeing you regularly on social media, like you have to start creating a place for people to build trust with you. And before you know it, you're gonna be one of those those influencers, those gurus, those charlatans, right? Something to aspire to. Hey, thanks for coming and hanging this week, and I'll see you next week.